This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. You good, Bump? I'm good, man. You I got, got that frog out. at I got it out. You know what I'm saying? We're, I'm leading the show today. <laughs> Stacey Ross is out. Got my guy Curtis helping me out. Of course, Matt is in the back talking all that stuff he talks when uh, when I do something. But hey, man, welcome to the Bump and Stacey show. Like I mentioned, we got our guy Curtis filling in. How you What's doing, up, today, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. How about yourself? Doing good, man. It was a good weekend. It was yeah. a good weekend. Um, went to Portland, a day trip for one soccer game. Gotta love being on the road for seven hours for one there soccer game. Um, my daughter played in a uh, basketball tournament. They are now back to back to back champions. Big up WBA! Wow. Um, and then we got to watch some good football on Sunday. How was your weekend? Oh, we did. Uh, my weekend was it could have been better, and I say that because I was out on Friday. Uh, because on Thursday, my wife and I got our car broken into. And so Friday, I was having to deal with all the insurance and getting it towed, and, and now it's in a shop. Uh, so, yeah, those dang Kia boys. Kia uh, boys they, got you. <laughs> they are roaming <laughs> our streets. Uh, they they got us real good. So that's kind of that was kind of the the majority of my weekend, mm-hmm. but also carved out plenty of time to watch these football games and bump. Now I know a lot of people wanted to see the Lions in the NFC Champion or in the uh, Super Bowl, and I think a lot of people also wanted to see the Ravens go to the Super Bowl just to kind of have some different flavor in the Super Bowl nah. rather than Chiefs 49ers. That's not what we're going to get, but I think yesterday actually worked out in the Seahawks' favor. Yeah, it did work out in the Seahawks' favor, man. Like, like you guys all know, right? The Chiefs get it done on one side, the Niners get it done on the other side. The positive about this whole situation is that Mike McDonald and Ben Johnson can now be interviewed by the Seattle Seahawks, and we're hoping that we do that. You look at what happened this weekend, Curtis. You got uh, the Detroit Lions collapsing in the second half, turning the football over, not being able to get it done. The Niners get it done. Then you got Mike McDonald, who actually called himself a good game against the Kansas City Chiefs. You hold them to 17 points, but it's not enough. They lose that ball game. What do we learn about these coordinators, and uh, how excited are you that uh, now the process can begin. You can start really looking at these guys. I'm thrilled that the process can like kind of reach its conclusion. I would expect this week because you've got McDonald set up for an interview. I think tomorrow at the Seahawks today, they're in mm-hmm. Detroit interviewing Ben Johnson. So it kind of feels like this is finally coming to a head after all these weeks of speculation. We're getting closer and closer to a decision to finally be made. Uh, you just got to see kind of what Washington does. I think today they're interviewing Mike McDonald. Um, and I think they've got an interview set up with like Dan Quinn again. So it, to me, Bump, and we're going to talk about this later on the, in the show, it kind of feels like it's a three-horse race right now between Dan Quinn, Mike McDonald, and Ben Johnson. But if we look at yesterday's games and and just kind of what the Ravens did in their loss and what the Lions did in their loss, just from the on-field product, I felt more comfortable with the job that McDonald did with Baltimore's defense compared to what Johnson did with the Lions offense. How did you feel about it? Yeah, this? I agree with you, man. Uh, in the third quarter, Pat Mahomes was 9-7 for 28 yards, only 16 yards rushing, 1-4 for four on third downs, uh, lost a, or fumbled once or twice, didn't lose any. Got Mahomes in the fourth quarter, 3-5, for five, 52 yards, 16 rushing yards once again, 2-4 for four on third downs, and four first downs. I watch this game, and I'm watching Pat Mahomes do what he does, and I'm looking at this Baltimore Ravens defense, and I go, they are doing enough. They started this game um, hot, right? The uh, the Ravens come out. 
three and out. But then uh, Kansas City gets the ball. They go 10 plays, 86 yards for a touchdown. Ravens respond. And then Kansas City gets the football again and scores. And then the Ravens fumble. And I'm thinking to myself, I go, here it goes. Snowball effect. Kansas City is going to keep this thing rolling. And the Ravens aren't going to be able to respond. But mm. that is not what happened, man. You get to that second half. And um, this Ravens, Ravens defense looked good. They forced Pat Mahomes to be a game manager. I don't know if if they force it or if Andy Reid just said, we're just going to do enough to win this game because we don't feel like this offense is clicking. We don't feel like Lamar Jackson is playing his best. We don't feel like Munkin is calling a good game. And Munkin, goodness gracious, 16 <laughs> times you run the football. 16 times. You've averaged over 30 rush attempts per game. And for some reason, you do not run the football against the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't get it. Yeah, the Ravens offense was the biggest reason why they lost that game yesterday. Not the defense. Now, in the first half, Mahomes was, was incredible. I think he only had like four incompletions, right. like 21 and 25. But like you said, Bump, that second half, uh, they they basically kept him in check throughout. Kansas City didn't put a single point up on the board. And what's something that we have always been uh, wanting to see from the Seahawks, whether it be offensively or defensively, over the last probably five or six years that we just haven't seen consistently enough, and that's halftime adjustments. And the Ravens were able to make those in the second half and to benefit their defense, which is the side of the ball that McDonald was uh, in charge of. Whereas with the Lions offensively, they put up 24 points in that first half, up 24 to 7 at the break. Things were looking good. But then in the second half, they turned the ball over a lot. They're, now, I get that the receivers were dropping passes all over the place. Uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs is fumbling the ball, but they only scored seven points in that second half against the 49ers. So I'm looking at the tail of the tape between the two teams yesterday, between the Ravens and the Lions, and I come way more impressed with the effort that McDonald's defense had. Um, but, like, do you think that Johnson stock went down at all, or do you think he's still uh, a hot commodity out there? Because I know Washington's got uh, their eye on him, too. I still think he's hot. I still think he's hot. I mean, you look at the way they were able to run the football against the 49ers. That's something uh, that's become a common theme as of late, being able to run the football against the Niners. They rushed for 148 yards in the first half. They were getting things going, right? The second half, I think there was a bunch of things that happened in the second half that kind of stalled that offense out, right? You got um, the fumble by Gibbs. Gives the 49ers great field position. Boom, you go for it. You got the decision to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal, um, which I'll talk about a bit later in my four down territory. Uh, so it kind of put them behind a little bit. They were they were forced to press a bit. And then you look at the numbers when it comes to the, to the 49ers, man. Time of possession, the second half, man. They have the football. They were moving the ball down the field. So, look. I know we looked at Dan Quinn and we had that one game and said, oh, man, what's going on? This defense got got uh, got ran through. They couldn't stop anybody. Dan Quinn is done. No, look at this. This is a different situation. You did score 31 points against the 49ers. You did have opportunities to win this ball game. Some decision making and Josh Reynolds not making a, uh, a difficult catch or two mm-hmm. kind of deterred you there. But I look at Ben Johnson and I go, you maximize. You got everything you could out of this team. Right When it's all said and done, you can't catch the football for these dudes. You cannot um, be in the backfield and be the running back and get the mesh for with these dudes. And also, you can, you're not calling the plays. I mean, you're you're calling the plays, but you're not uh, okaying the situation on fourth down to go forward when you are in field goal position. I think Ben Johnson is okay. 
I think Mike McDonald's okay. Uh, they both lost a football game, but I I think they both did exactly what they needed to do to keep their team in the game. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero was on the air uh, this morning on Good Morning Football talking about where the search stands right now between the Seahawks and Commanders uh, and who's going where as of today. The Seahawks are scheduled to interview Ben Johnson later today in Detroit. Then they are set to interview Mike McDonald on Tuesday morning with the Ravens. For the Commanders, they've got Ravens associate head coach and defensive line coach Anthony Weaver this afternoon, Mike McDonald tonight, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn on Tuesday morning. They have later in the day Ben Johnson in Detroit where they're also scheduled to interview defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. That might be it for head coaching interviews in this cycle. So that just kind of gives the lay of the land on where uh, both the Commanders and Seahawks sit at this moment uh, as they finish off their interviews. They're the only two teams remaining, Bump. And you kind of look at both teams, they kind of have the same guys in mind. It feels like it's coming down to two of the three of Quinn McDonald or Johnson are going to get hired by the Commanders or the Seahawks. Now, Pelissero did mention Aaron Glenn, which is an interesting name out there that I'm surprised hasn't been mentioned with the Seahawks because of uh, you know how important defense has become here in Seattle uh, and how important it is to get this defense back on track. Uh, that's an interesting name to watch, I think, with the Washington search, but it feels like whoever the Seahawks get, uh, is going to be somebody that they are not really settling for. It feels like that they have had this person in mind for a while, and I, I think that's also why that this coaching search has stretched a, as far as it has, because Johnson and McDonald have been in the playoffs up until yesterday, and you don't schedule extra interviews with these guys unless you really want to see what they've got. Um, you know, they've already done multiple interviews with Dan Quinn. They have not done multiple with Johnson, and they haven't even met with McDonald yet. There's a reason for that, and I think it's because they have a, a, a high amount of interest in both Johnson and McDonald. Yeah, and they know they're in a position to leverage right now. I mean, if you're looking at the Seattle Seahawks and you're looking at the Commanders at this point, this Haw- the Hawks have more to offer. We've mentioned this a thousand times already, right? They're playing the long game. They're waiting for Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, and then, um, of course, we all know there's a real interest in Dan Quinn, but they're looking at this situation and they're watch. They watch all these other teams pick their head coach, right? Everyone got snatched up. I think the one that we really missed on or we're hoping that would hang around is Morris. He's over with the Atlanta Falcons, but they knew if it came down to one or two teams ahead of them, they're going to be the most attractive. Why? Because of all the weapons that they have on defense and on offense, they do need to get better. You got to fix that offensive line. You got to add some guys on defense, but they're sitting there and they're saying, look, Ben, look at this offense, man. Look, look at this veteran quarterback. We got the number 16 pick. Maybe we go quarterback there. Look at this receiver core. You match that up with the commanders. You're looking at the Seahawks and saying you're good to go. Now they're saying, hey, Mike, man, look at this defense, man. I know we're old at the linebacker position with, with Bobby there. We see what we do, but we're young in Jordan Brooks, right? Uh, l- look at our, our secondary. You got two rookie candidates for a defensive player of the year when they are rookies. I'm talking about Devin Witherspoon and, of course, Reek. Um, uh, Rick Woolen. Look at all these guys we have over there. So I think they played this correctly, and then you got Dan Quinn, the OG, and they're saying, man, come on back. So now I think they're going to have the pick of the litter. I remember when I got my dog. Back in 2005, 
Uh, yes, 2005, man. I had to pick up the litter because I lived with the guy who had the dogs. And I'm sitting there, and um, there's about eight puppies, and one just connects with me. I don't even know. It was the smallest one in the group. He connected with Cut me. I go, that's going to be my guy right there, right? <laughs> that's the Seahawks right now. They're looking at the guys that are remaining and saying, look, we are going to interview them, of course. Right? We're going to go through this process, but there's no competition right now. At least I think there's no competition with the commanders. Unless the commanders are willing to give up just a crazy amount of control and they're going to allow this young man or Dan Quinn to do whatever they want to. I think that's the only way that they can look more attractive to these guys um, than the the Seahawks, man. So I like the position at the rim. Um, it w- It's been... It's been uh it's forced us to be patient. Yes. It's forced us to <laughs> yes. look at every single candidate four or five this times. This is week three. Right. Uh yeah, we've we've gotten really good at Ajiro Avero pronouncing his name. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, like this is I, I'm so ready to get this search done with. Yes, please. And to have a guy in place and to hear from him and to just know and 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 know what his uh philosophies are in building out an organization in building out a locker room because right now, I mean, there's just so much unknown. And uh, one of those unknowns is what are they going to do with Geno Smith? That's coming up right at the end of the Super Bowl, basically. Within that week, we're going to find out whether or not Geno Smith essentially returns to the Seahawks in 2024 or not. Uh, I I would imagine, yeah, everybody we've talked to has said, yes, he'll be back. Um, but look, you know, this guy who comes in, He'll probably have his mindset on who he wants to be a quarterback long term. Is that going to be Geno or or is it going to be somebody else? Like there are some huge decisions that need to be made, and, and like let's go, let's get it underway because uh, all this speculation. I, I would imagine if you're tuning in, you're probably like, really, there's there's nothing new yet, and it's like, well, I mean, yeah, you, you get to interview with some more candidates this week, uh, but you know, nothing set in stone or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm ready to get this search really, uh, you know, ramped up here because I, I I get the sense bump, and I think you do too. We talked about this, that, that something probably goes down this week. Yeah, we hope so. Um, Ian Rappaport in cut number two says there's no need to rush, but uh, we disagree. You know, what we've reached a point here, Tom, is like there's really no point in rushing because, you know, unless these two teams are going to settle on the same candidate, which I guess is possible if it's Dan Quinn, maybe, there's really no reason – to rush, they can sort of settle in and go, you know what, we're just going to pick the best candidate, and everyone's hiring staffs at the same time no matter what, and that is fine, and let's just do it. But I would say this, like Dan Quinn certainly seems to be a prime candidate at both spots, so it obviously is a real possibility the Cowboys end up losing their defensive coordinator. Now I get, um, you know, this reminds me of uh, when I'm on the golf course and it's busy, it's like a hurry up and wait. Like we we get through the, the 10th hole, but then we're playing at a nice little pace. You get to the 11th hole and you go, okay, we got to wait a little bit. Like it's right there. You see the hole, you see the box, but the guys in front of you are moving slow. This is kind of, it kind of feels like this situation now. It's like we're here now and we see the candidates. They are available. Everyone can come in for an interview, but you do have to get through the process. So I think we can wait a few more days. I hope we, we're only waiting a few more days, Curtis, because uh, it's been a long ride. Stacy is hoping that they wait yeah, a few more days so sure. she can get. You know the what? Now, nah, nah, get that thing going so I can get that breaking news. <laughs> let me let let me get some shine, man. I love it. Washington's biggest night out in sports is coming up February fifteenth. It's the 89th annual Sports Star of the Year Awards, crowning our state's biggest stars and stories of twenty twenty three. Find tickets and info at seattlesportscom slash events. Matt, let's get the headline rewrites. Extra, extra, read all about it. 
Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey. USA Today's Bob Nightingale says the Mariners have had discussions with the White Sox regarding starting pitcher Dylan Cease. What's the real headline? Real headline, I'm trying to make it make sense, but but I've got nothing, Bob. <laughs> uh, you think they should cease those discussions right now? Cease them. I mean, we were talking about this before the show. And we go, all right, so you're going to give up I have two years of control with Cease if this goes down. You're going to give up possibly Miller and Wu, who you still have five years of uh, control. Yeah, about and, that long. And it's like, look, you make this move if you feel like this team is ready to compete for a World Series right now. So yeah. we'll see if they go through with this, what else they have up their sleeve. Um, I appreciate them going out there and exploring things, but uh, I mean, I'm not too hyped about it. I feel like trading Miller or Wu for more pitching help kind of ignores what still remains to be a big need, and that is offense. That's getting bats for this lineup. I feel like those two guys could land you a bat that is is worth writing about. I think Cease is a fantastic pitcher. I think he you know, had a, a bit of a down season in 2023, uh, but that 2022 season, second in Cy Young voting uh, for the Chicago White Sox, kind of reminds me uh, numbers-wise of kind of a right-handed Blake Snell in terms of results. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks, uh, but ultimately he's a pretty effective starting pitcher. But I think this is a move that you would make, like you said, Bump, if you're maybe one or two pieces away from World Series contention. I think the Mariners are a little further off than that. Uh, they need to get back to the playoffs and sacrificing even more of your future in a guy like Miller or Wu to go out and get Dylan Cease, which cuts down on that controllability. Just doesn't really make a ton of sense right now. Bob Nightingale, who had that report yesterday in his column, we're going to talk to him later today at 1230 to discuss this further. Headline rewrites. Former Washington cornerback Jabbar Muhammad did the unthinkable and announced his transfer to arch-rival Oregon. What's the real headline? Real headline, if you're still surprised to see this in college football, you're, you're falling way behind. You got to wake up. There's, there's no loyalty anymore. No loyalty. You're going to have players in the NFL. Right, this this is how we know it's gonna get crazy. There's gonna be a player on Monday Night Football. He's gonna say, "A hey, uh, Javar uh, Torres, Oregon, Washington, and University of Arizona." Right, this guys are gonna be hopping around from school to school. This is just what it is. Now, I understand the people who are getting hot about this. Right, you're from a different era, old school era. I'm from that era, era too. When guys went to school and you stayed there, the only time you transferred is if you had some type of hardship or maybe you weren't getting a bunch of playing time. No, these guys are starters. They're getting playing time, but money talks. And you know what? Oregon seems more willing to put out for their athletes than the University of Washington. Also, um, what connection does uh, Muhammad have to Jetfish? None. Absolutely none. So who's he loyal to? The guy he was exactly. loyal to is gone, right? Yeah. He's gone. So I'm not I'm not mad at this kid. I understand that this is just the way college football is. Guys will be leaving. If you get a, a star to stay at your school for four years, you know what that means? Your college is winning and you're in the college football playoffs exactly. every single year. I just want to point out the hypocrisy. It's not just of Husky fans, but it's also of all college football fans where when a guy transfers away from your school, you're like, oh. How could he do this? Well, where's you. the loyalty? And then the <laughs> second you land a transfer from the transfer board, like, welcome, welcome to home. <laughs> you have made it. You are, are where you're going to be for the rest of your college football career. We've loved you forever, mm -hmm. even though you wore a, a different jersey. Like, that's how all, every college football fan was. I saw that time and time again this weekend on social media, uh, seeing Husky fans uh, just 
angry at this guy for going from Washington to Oregon, but like that's the game nowadays. Adapt or die. <laughs> Put that on the shirt. Headline Adapt or die. The Kraken held on to beat the Blue Jackets 4-2 to two last night. What's the real headline? Real headline is no coincidence that Jordan Everly had two goals after appearing on our show last week. I mean, that's just what happens. If you want to yeah. succeed in life, there's a couple things you do, okay? One, you be good to people. And two, you listen to the Bump and Stacey show. Actually, three, you come on the show and go. we give you all that good juju. No, that's uh, good for the Kraken, man, 4-2. But, you know, um, I got to check up for my guy, Yanni. thought my dude was hurt a couple, a couple <laughs> days ago. Actually out um, on suspension. So uh, my guy was back. But good to see the, the Kraken doing their thing, man. It's, uh, it's so up and down, man. When I watch basketball, baseball, and hockey, um, there's so so many games. There's yeah. there's so much time for emotions to change with teams, right? Remember when this team had lost like seven, eight in a row, then they win six or seven in a row. They're up and down, but uh, but you're right, man. I like that um, everybody comes on the show and he does his thing. Yeah, Joey Decord, I believe, has started, I think, 17 of 19 games, uh, and that is a heavy workload for any goalie. Yeah. Uh, I, I look at goalie workloads kind of the same as like catcher workloads in, in Major League Baseball, where you have your guy uh, like Cal Raleigh, who's probably going to play like two thirds to three quarters of the season, but you got to have a, somebody in there to give him a, a breather every now and then. But Decord is, has, you know, more than held his own uh, despite the added workload over the last, what, month, month plus. He's been fantastic between the pipes. I guess he continued to ride that hot hand, got the win last night. Um, but, you know, Philip Grubauer, I think is he's back healthy again. So maybe we see him in the net uh, over the next couple of nights. But uh, shout out to the crack and getting the job done last night. Do you know what's a healthy workload for, for a goalkeeper? Well, God, like Martin Brodeur, who is known for just the ridiculous workload. He would play like 72 out of 82 games mm-hmm. during a season. I think if you can get a goalie that can play like 60 ish games mm-hmm. like that's your starter and then have your your backup but i think nowadays you see more of a 50 50 split um but with the cord playing as much as he has lately i think we're gonna see him plenty down the stretch this season yeah man um wally pip wally pip <laughs> you think I mean, i'm just saying and uh and wouldn't then, wouldn't be surprised wouldn't He's be surprised great. my my mom used to say too man don't let no freshman take your spot that's from uh loving basketball if you guys remember that scene <laughs> all right man we're just getting started here on the bump and stacy show we got curtis filling in we'll be come back man there's a uh a two-time mvp might be a two-time mvp getting a lot of criticism does he deserve it we'll break that down next You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Lamar, Lamar, we were rooting for you, Lamar. You had us in your <laughs> corner, and uh, he failed to execute, man. And now he's going to be the topic of discussion for at least the next couple of weeks until the Super Bowl gets going. People are going to look at the matchup, of course. They're going to break everything down. But when it's all said and done, Lamar Jackson, who we assume is going to win his second MVP, could not get it done against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs at home being the number one seed. Lamar is 2-4 and four in the playoffs. He has eight turnovers in six games. In those six games, he's only completing 59% of his passes. Something wasn't right. Now, we can point to a lot of things, and Curtis and I are going to do that, but before before we do, let's hear from Ryan Clark. When you look at the Baltimore Ravens, they played as if they had imposter syndrome. Mm. They played as, like a team that 
as much as they wanted the world to think they felt they deserved to be there, they played like a team that didn't feel like they deserved to be there. Their quarterback pressed. When you look at Lamar Jackson in the most pressurized moments, he didn't revert back to what he knew. It almost seemed like he was playing to prove to the world, I can win playing this way, when all the Baltimore Ravens need him to do is just win being Lamar Jackson. And I know there were points in this season where we praised him for his ability to scramble to throw, his ability to create to throw, where there were opportunities yesterday where he could have been the best athlete on the field yeah. because he is. Yeah. And he chose not to do that. Yeah, that was tough to watch, man. It seemed like the game plan was completely different from what they've done to get them to that point. Didn't understand the approach. What did you see, Curtis? I saw a Ravens offense that looked scared. Yeah, I saw a Ravens offense that looked like the moment was a little too big for them and that they really, really had a tough time going to do, doing anything yesterday against a Chiefs defense that is good, but I wouldn't necessarily put Kansas City's defense as like, you know, one of the league's most elite units. Now, Steve Spagnolo, their coordinator, has always done a really good job, uh, I think, of game planning specifically for his opponent in that game rather than just kind of having a blanket uh, game plan. If you remember, Bump, Steve Spagnolo was the Giants defensive coordinator in both of their Super Bowl wins over the New England Patriots. So this is a guy that has a lot of coordinating experience in big games. I think he devised a really good game plan to, to slow down Baltimore and to really make them, uh, you know, just one dimensional, force Lamar Jackson to throw. And look, as much as we hated on Bill Pullian and his crit- criticism of, of Lamar Jackson, that turned out to be the right game plan in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, man. Um, it seemed like, and now obviously it's hard when you're watching the the TV version, right? So I was waiting until I see the All-22 to really know what's going on in the back, de- back end. But it seemed like um, Lamar had some time to throw the football for the majority of the game, but couldn't let it loose. Um, guys were blanketed on, on the back end, saw a lot of nickel, saw a lot of dime. But we just didn't see the type of offense that we're used to seeing. And what type of offense is that? The offense that leads the league in rushing attempts. Why change who you are now? Now, I understand you go down a little bit. It's not like you're getting blown out. Um, you get hit in the mouth fairly quickly to start the game. You go three and out. The Chiefs go down the field and they put up put up a, a score. And you feel like you have to respond. But this is when knowing who you are and having that composure is the most important. And I felt like mm-hmm. from Lamar Jackson, not just him, to Munkin, they forgot who they were. Like, I understand, like, you're not you're not in Georgia, right? Uh, you, just, you don't just have – you do have a dominant team out there. Yeah. But there are other guys over there. And the Chiefs defense is playing well. And Patrick Mahomes is going to put up points. You have to be aggressive and be the guy that you have been all year. That's just the part that baffles me. Now, there are some things that happened that didn't help Lamar out, right? You got Zay Flowers with the big play and then the taunting penalty that backs him up. Then on that same drive, Zay Flowers getting into the end zone, fumbling before he gets there. And the score could have been, I think, 14-17 to 17 at that time or 17 to 14 at that time, and that hurts. But there are moments out there when you listen to Ryan Clark where you're just like, tuck it and run. Mm -hmm. Just be Lamar Jackson. Don't be anybody else. Be yourself. You you look at what the Ravens did yesterday, and there was a lot of factors into into why their offense didn't move the ball hardly at all against Kansas City. And those are conversations that aren't going to be had on the hot take shows on ESPN because that's not what's going to drive people to listen and drive people to watch. Ultimately, 
this game in the eyes, I think, of the casual NFL fan and of the person that is is just looking for an easy narrative is, is it's going to fall on Lamar Jackson. And it continues to fall on Lamar Jackson. Like you said, he's 2-4 and four in his career in the postseason. Uh, Brock Purdy has more playoff wins than Lamar Jackson does, and Purdy has been a starter for two years in the wow. NFL. Um I look at Lamar Jackson right now, and whether it's fair or not, I think he might become the most criticized quarterback oh, yeah. in the NFL. Uh, I think since maybe like Cam Newton, when mm-hmm. when Newton was putting up those huge seasons for Carolina, took him to a Super Bowl, didn't win it, and never got back uh, to that place. Jackson plays a style that no one has ever seen that kind of quarterback reach the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. No one's ever done it yet. Uh, where they have a quarterback that is a threat to run for a thousand yards and is a threat to throw for four thousand yards, like we've never seen that kind of quarterback win a Super Bowl. And until Lamar Jackson does it, or until somebody like Lamar Jackson is able to do it, fair or not, those criticisms are going to be levied their way. And I think you know, you look at just him, you look at Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, all these AFC quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, they've all kind of fallen victim to Patrick Mahomes, right. right? Like, how can you criticize these quarterbacks for not being able to get past maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, certainly maybe the greatest like six-year stretch that mm-hmm. we've seen from a starting quarterback? Only quarterback to give him fits is uh, Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Other than that, yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes runs this thing, and, it, and it's going to be tough going against him. Um, you mentioned we've – it's. Yeah, we uh, we haven't seen a quarterback win a Super Bowl with the style that Lamar Jackson Jackson plays with. Lamar Jackson didn't even play like Lamar Jackson yeah. yesterday. That's the part that hurts me. It's like if you're going to go down, if you are going to lose a close one to Patrick Mahomes, right? And one, I've learned a lesson. I'll stop. I'll stop going against Patrick Mahomes. I thought this was going to be the year. I thought if there's a year Pat Mahomes goes down, it's to one of the story defenses uh, in all of NFL. Like what? the Ravens did on defense this year was historical. It was amazing to watch. Offensively, what they did this year was awesome, amazing to watch. I'm thinking this has to be the team that takes Patrick Mahomes down, but they weren't even themselves. The approach mm-hmm. wasn't even who they are, uh, who they were this whole season. That's what gets me is just, okay, if I'm going down swinging, man, I'm running that thing 35, 40 times. I'm doing exactly what I did to get myself here, and we didn't see that. Um, and, and part of that is on Lamar, right? Yeah. But another part of that is on the offensive coordinator. You got to put your quarterback in that position, but also, Lamar, you were our – you were the best athlete on that field. No one moves like Lamar. No one can make the plays that Lamar can make with the football in his hand. And he just didn't pull the trigger. And I wonder why. Was it um, was that the game plan? Did him and Munkin sit down and talk about the game plan this week and say, look, we're gonna, we think we can exploit this back in and we're going to throw the football? Um, was it what he was seeing, the coverages or whatnot? There was a lot of man going on out there. Sticky on the back end is what the Kansas City Chiefs were. Um, I would just like to see the best athlete on the field, have those best athlete on the field moments. And one was a pass to himself that went for 20-something yards. <laughs> Other than that, we didn't have that signature right. Lamar moment. Yeah, we didn't have it at all. And credit to the Chiefs defense for for keeping him in check. Um, but until Lamar and this Ravens team is able to get over that hump and get back to a Super Bowl and, and, and even win a Super Bowl, like this guy is going to face – uh, the daggers from so many people in the media, uh, you know, whether or not he can can ultimately get over that hump. And um, I just look at the state of quarterbacking in the AFC right now, Bump, and I kind of view it as like 
the NBA in the 90s, where you're going to have a lot of greats uh, end up ringless mm-hmm. because of who is still playing. You know, you had Tom Brady's career lead directly into Patrick Mahomes' career, which and Brady had Manning with him right there. Like the AFC, if you look dating back to about like 2000-ish, it's been like Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Mahomes, mm-hmm. with like the occasional Joe Flacco or Joe Burrow thrown in there. But it's been those four, Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger, Mahomes, for almost like 25 years now. It's insane how little variance there's been in quarterbacks that have made the Super Bowl from one half of the league. But it also kind of speaks to the greatness of that group and just how, you know, ahead they were of everybody else that they were playing against. Um, And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now with guys like Allen and Burrow and Jackson um, on the AFC side of things, maybe even Justin Herbert, uh, not to the level of those guys, but yeah, like, Right now in the AFC, it's not just a Lamar Jackson thing. It, it's everybody trying to de- dethrone Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Reggie Miller. Yeah. Great. Patrick Played in the Ewing. wrong era. Patrick Ewing. Yeah. Played in the wrong era, man. Tough. All right, Lamar, let's see what you do next year. But, man, we still got football to talk about. The Super Bowl is in a couple of weeks, and we will give you the earliest Super Bowl preview ever. That's next. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacy Ross and Michael Bumpus. Thanks for listening. And now we are going to give you our Super Bowl preview. We were talking about the last time these guys squared off. 2019, Curtis, you brought up a great point. These teams look different. There's no more Hill over there. Sherm is gone. Jimmy G is gone. But they've been able to maintain this run. It's been really impressive to watch. Even though we hate watching it, it's been impressive to watch. Yeah, both of these teams, even after they met in that Super Bowl, the Chiefs haven't fallen any shorter than the AFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. I think the 49ers have made quite a few NFC Championship games since then. Uh, I know they lost two, one to the Rams, one to the Eagles, and then one yesterday. So, yeah, they've made three straight NFC Championship games. Um, these two teams have been the models of consistency in their respective conferences ever since they met in 2019. Um, but, yeah, I was looking back at highlights of that Super Bowl. Uh, Raheem Mostert was with the mm-hmm. 49ers. He's not there anymore. Dolphins. Yeah, you had just a ton of different names out there on the field, but – what has helped this thing sustain, uh, you know, on both sides is just the front offices on down. Uh, the Chiefs, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes. While it is not, I think, the intrigue of seeing like the Lions in the Super Bowl for the first time, or maybe Lamar Jackson playing in his first ever mm-hmm. Super Bowl, I still think Chiefs 49ers is going to give us a really good game. Um, I don't see it being a blowout situation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and look, I mean, it's the two best organizations in football going on right now, uh, which really kind of, I think, from a Seahawks perspective, like you're not just chasing the Rams anymore in the in the NFC West. Like you're absolutely chasing the 49ers. The 49ers have become your top target, and whoever it is that they try to hire, you've got to make sure that they are able to 
you know, keep pace with the 49ers and, and not just keep pace, but, you know, one day overtake them. Yeah, I look at a great point. You you got to keep up with these dudes. They're, you got to keep up with the Niners, and then you can't sleep on the Rams, man. Goodness gracious, the Rams had a great season, turned things around. But I'm looking at this matchup, and I'm saying, how different are these teams, right? They're similar in some ways and different in other ways. You got Patrick Mahomes, who's coming off maybe his worst year as a pro. Not a bad year, but his worst year as a pro. Then you look at the San Francisco 49ers, man. They are just so dominant on that defensive line. The last two opponents they played have rushed for over 130 yards, right? 136 by the Green Bay, Green Bay Packers, and then I believe, 148 last night. So if I'm looking, if I am the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And then another another difference is that they have found their run game. Pacheco's mm-hmm. running the rock, right? That's what they lean on. The Chiefs lean on defense now in a run game. <laughs> and some moments from Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to play his best, but he is managing the game at some point. You look at the 49ers, I think they've upgraded at the quarterback spot, but they still got the same type of quarterback. Yes. But what I did see from Purdy last night is that he had his moments and he took it a couple runs for first down, yes. um, a couple good throws, one for a touchdown of Brandon Ayuk. It's um the maturation of Purdy has been fun to watch. Um, I think he deserves a bit more respect. But yeah, you're right. So when we look at these two teams, man, if I told you to start this year, I go, man, look, Curtis, it's going to be the Niners and the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are going to lean on their run, and the Niners are going to give up a whole bunch of yards on the ground in the playoffs. You probably think I'm crazy, but I think that's um that's the beauty of these two organizations. They've been able to maintain, and they've done it in different ways, right? Where you replace your quarterback here, and you kind of change your attack offensively for the Chiefs because of the guys you're missing, No Hill, um, uh, Travis Kelsey didn't have the year mm-hmm. that we're used to seeing, yet he still has his moments. It's going to make for a good matchup. A lot of adaptability. Uh, in these coaching staffs to fit the personnel that they have uh, that has made them successful here in 2023. Now, a big thing, like we pointed out, was coaching, specifically on the 49ers side of the ball, or 49ers side of the coin here, uh, heading into the Super Bowl. Now, the Shanahan coaching tree has has produced a lot of branches and leaves over the last Mm -hmm. few years. We all look back to that 2013 Washington coaching staff where you had guys like McVay and Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan and Bobby Sloak and Raheem Morris. All these guys either became head coaches or in Sloak's case is offensive coordinator for one of the most dynamic offenses in the league in Houston. Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com and NFL Network, he was on with us last week and talked about how Mike McDonald has been a Shanahan coaching tree killer this year. I love the idea of Mike McDonald, the, the Ravens defensive coordinator. I was just watching their defense this morning, and he's just done such a good job against that coaching tree. To me, Mike McDonald has shown this year he feels like the, the Shanahan tree killer. Like he's done so great against those offenses that to me he'd be a fun choice. When I hear tree killer, I think of Harvey Updike, the Alabama fan who killed the, the Auburn trees. <laughs> Dang. Is Mike McDonald the Harvey Updike to what Shanahan has has built in San Francisco? And like it's it's one thing to say that, but let's look at the tail of the tape here. Uh the Ravens beat Houston twice this season, Bobby Sloak's offense. Mm-hmm. They beat the 49ers on Christmas Day. And then uh, they also beat the Rams this year with Sean McVay. Like, they really took it to teams that were, you know, of this Shanahan system. And I, that, to me, is is very interesting. Now, we're going to talk about McDonald, you know, the person a little bit later. We've got some sound from Jamison Hensley, who was on uh, with Brock and Brady Henderson earlier this morning. Uh, talking about what McDonald is as as a coach, who he is as a person. But um, 
when I look at this 49ers Chiefs matchup, I'm I'm just looking at what what do the Seahawks need to do to get to that level? And the most direct line to get to where they are goes through the 49ers. How do you stop the 49ers? That is I mean, we've got a lot of questions for this head coach, uh, but that's got to be near the top of the list, right? Yeah, it's got to be, right? You got to start at home. You got to start in the division. And um, thankfully and, and unfortunately, you got um, you get to see one of the best teams in the league twice. Now, McDonald's done a great job killing that tree. He's also had some weapons, man. He's got one of the best chainsaws in the world, man, killing them trees, man. He's got <laughs> two really good linebackers, a great defensive line, talent at safety. But that's why I look at McDonald and I go, he has enough on the Seahawks defense right now to change some things. Will he make them a top five defense in one year? I don't think so. Uh, but they won't be, at least I believe, if he attacks it the same way he did with the Baltimore Ravens, they won't be near the bottom in some of these categories that we're not used to seeing them in. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, will he be the guy? Should he be the guy? We will know here pretty soon. At least we hope so. All right, man, one hour down. We got lots more to do when we come back. We're going to break down some of the uh, – top plays in the conference championship game. That is next on the Bump and Stacey show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in.